let's just say you were sitting in a restaurant and he walked in. Well, when an NFL lineman walks into a room, you, you know, you pick him up because he's an enormous human being. And he is that. So when he walks in the room, you're like, oh my God, right? This guy's, you know, if this guy could ever play. As Jermaine really upped his football IQ and understood the game, um, the physical part was, was very easy for him. It was just understanding what American football is really all about. Guy that I really like that I think is going to start to create a buzz is Jermaine Illuminor, the right tackle from Texas A&M. He's 332 pounds, only played a couple years of football. He's from England, grew up in Jersey, high school wrestler. I'll tell you, I think he's got traits to be a starting guard in the NFL, and I think some teams are starting to realize that. I wanted it real bad. It was, I mean, I moved to a different country to make it happen. Not that I think I would be sitting here doing a little podcast for Sports Illustrated. No. It's no secret the NFL is obsessed with exporting its game overseas, specifically to England. Oh, we are set for football. The Giants and the Miami Dolphins here in London. The league has played at least three games in London each season since 2014, and that number is only growing from here. As for imports, though, the NFL hasn't received much. Only five current NFL players were born in England, most notably Dolphins running back Jay Ajayi, a breakout sensation in 2016. But Ajayi moved to the U.S. when he was seven, discovered football in Maryland, and became a high school star in Texas. Jermaine Illuminor has a slightly more unlikely journey. At six foot four and 332 pounds, the former Texas A&M offensive lineman is generating buzz in the lead up to the 2017 draft. When Illuminor meets with NFL evaluators, they usually say two things. One, I've never met an Englishman so big. And two, I can't believe you've only been playing big time football for one year. In a class of offensive linemen filled with question marks, Illuminor has become one of the draft's fastest rising prospects. But even getting to this point is an improbable tale, and that journey is the subject of episode three of draft season. It begins on Ferdinand Street, in the northwest London neighborhood of Chalk Farm. The MMQB's Emily Kaplan has the story. It wasn't too bad of a neighborhood. I mean, I remember one time I was riding my bike down the street, coming back from the um, grocery store, and someone tried to steal my bike. And then it ended up, apparently I knew the person. And they just dapped me up and said, oh, I'm playing with you, London. No, they didn't call me London. They, my funny, funny thing, they called me Teddy back then. The nickname wasn't exactly creative. As a preteen, Jermaine was chubby. Five foot six, 260 pounds. But he loved sports, and naturally, as any good English boy would, he picked up football, the other football. And I started getting red cards, and again, you know, too physical for it because you know how you watch the game and they get hit a tiny bit and they fall down and they're in immense pain. I just wanted to hit someone, so I would play soccer like I'd be dribbling the ball down the field, and someone would try taking it away from me, and I'd hit. And I would shove them, and they would go down, and bang, red card. Here's Jermaine's father, John Illuminor. He told me he doesn't like football. 
then um, he went, he tried rugby. And um, from rugby, he thinks it wasn't physical enough for him. And um, he's going online researching about sports. Then he found American football. I'm in the living room and I'm literally just flipping through the TV trying to find an Arsenal game and I see like all these bright colors and like these shiny helmets and people people wearing these big shoulder pads and long socks and cool jerseys and I'm like oh what's this and about you know I started watching it more and I was seeing people hit each other real hard and everyone was like just blowing each other up and I was like oh what is this so I started googling it more Jermaine became infatuated with American football. And so he turned to the one place any typical 13-year-old needing help would, the computer. Specifically, he played endless hours of NFL Rush, a flash computer game. Oh, and then Rush to school. Uh, it was Michael Strahan. He had to jump over things and hit footballs out the way and stuff like that. Oh, and then equip a football player. That's how I learned what, like all the all the pads and stuff they wear, like a girdle and the gloves and the knee pads. That's how I learned how to dress up as a football player. Jermaine signed up to play American football in London, but the youth program wasn't exactly advanced. They practiced on concrete. The playing fields were unkempt. Nobody took it as seriously as soccer. Ask me if there's any possibility of us moving to America. I go, why? He goes, he wants to play football. I go, um. Um, I think about it. The Illuminors are a hardworking family. Jermaine is one of four. His mother works at a nursing home. His father works security at a department store and two to three other jobs to make ends meet. Although John Illuminor had reservations about splitting up his family, he wanted to encourage his son's dream. They had family in New Jersey and John Illuminor told his son they would test the waters. I made them two promises. The first promise that was I would graduate from big time university and the second was I would make it as far as I could in football. In 2009, they made the move to help Jermaine's dream materialize. But it wasn't easy at first. Jermaine had just turned 14, meaning he would be a freshman in high school. In a new country, he felt like one big show and tell. I mean, we didn't have too much money then, so we went to Walmart and got some shoes and stuff. And so and I had some clothes, I mean, I just had like a suitcase of clothes. I live with my aunt and so did my dad. And so I went to school that first day. And it was actually funny because when they were in front of I was from London, they, it was like a huge circle around me. It's like, oh, he's from London. And they made me say different words like purple and banana and peanut butter. And Football didn't come easy either. Coaches wouldn't put him on the field because he didn't know the rules. He now realizes this was the right decision. He would have gotten hurt. But at the time, it made him feel secluded. Over the summer, Jermaine went back to London with his father on what was supposed to be a vacation. Jermaine's parents told him they didn't want to go back. They wanted the family to be reunited. If I don't go back now, I'm not gonna do anything with my life. And I mean, it was true. If I stayed in London, I don't know where I'd be right now because there's nothing there for me. I love London more than anything, but I wanted to play American football. So I just begged my parents for a couple of hours just to take me and let me go back to America. And, you know, I guess they saw how sincere I was in my face and how much I wanted it and how hungry I was for success. So they they gave me an opportunity and said that 
wish they would give me one year to make it and do something and do good in school and stuff. And it was emotional because in the airport, like my dad was crying, everyone was crying and stuff. And, you know, it was the last time I saw my parents, my family for what, two years. It was difficult. Jermaine made the most of his second trip. He finally learned enough football to get on the field. And to get in shape, he picked up wrestling. He compiled a 30-7 and record and made it to the state finals. He also maintained his football goals, even if few believed they were feasible. I remember my senior year, right during the middle of the season when it was senior day, they gave us like this little, all the seniors a form to fill out. So like what you wanted the announcers to say. And when it came up to my name, I remember saying, I want to go to a D1 school and play big time football and play the NFL. And when they read out what I wanted to say, they said he wants to go to college and play football. With limited experience, Jermaine wasn't exactly a hot recruit. His coach suggested he spend a year at prep school, but financially, that wasn't an option. So he went the JUCO route. He enrolled at Lackawanna College in Scranton, Pennsylvania. After a solid year at JUCO, Jermaine was ready for the next step. But there were two problems. First, he was in an elongated battle with the NCAA. In order to be academically eligible for D1 football, the NCAA need to clear his transcripts from both countries. And according to Jermaine, the agency wasn't being too prompt with the request. The second issue, D1 schools still didn't know about him. Jermaine needed to sell himself to get noticed, and he knew it. When he wasn't in class or at practice, he was creating Excel spreadsheets on his laptop. He found every top Division I coach's email address and sent them a note. Hello Tulsa, hello West Virginia, hello Oklahoma, hello my name is Jermaine Lemon. I recently filled out one of your recruiting questionnaires. I'm 6'4", 280 pounds, and I'm 6'5", 285 pounds. You see, I'm from England and I moved to two years ago and NCAA does not believe this. I was heavily recruited by Virginia Tech, Maryland, North Carolina, and the UTSA and TCU. I really wasn't. I was just trying to see if these schools would be interested in me. I hope to hear back from you because I really want to play at your school. You're sincerely Jermaine Luminor. And then I said, Thank you for giving up your time to read my letter to you. Jermaine laughs as he rereads these emails. He's anywhere between six foot four and six foot seven. His weight fluctuates a good 50 pounds and his 40 time magically improves by three tenths of a second overnight. He sent more than 300 emails. Naturally, a few hijinks ensued. He's convinced that UNC never wrote back because he accidentally told them my dream is to win a national championship at Maryland. But then something funny happened. I reached out to Florida State and within two hours they hit me back up and it was Coach Cooley. I don't know where he's at now. And he was like, oh, who are you? Like, I've never heard of you before. Like, we love your film. We're about to watch you as a staff right now. Like, we think you're really impressive when we want to bring you here to Florida State. And at the time I'm like, what? You know that scene in The Blind Side, that montage of Nick Saban and every major SEC coach sitting in Michael Orr's living room making their pitch? I'm Lou Holtz, head football coach at the University of South Carolina. Come to Oxford and help us win the SEC. We want you, we need you, but the other thing is, Mike, you need us. That pretty much happened to Jermaine. Jimbo Fisher offered him a scholarship the next day. And once schools found out that FSU was interested, they pounced. Florida called. So did UCLA, USC, Ohio State, Alabama, Arkansas, and of course, Texas A&M. Here's Coach Kevin Sumlin. You know, he was taking some visits. He was full with visits. You know, the recruiting story is one that he may tell one side of it. 
I think everywhere he went, he really liked and uh, committed. And uh, we actually changed his visit to the last visit because because of that. Because everywhere he went, he was going to go to that school. So we made a decision, hey, let's move your visit to the end. And then maybe if you keep going the way you're going, last you'll just place, best place. last place, best place. And that's how we got him, I think. Coach Sumlin has a philosophy on bringing in JUCO transfers. He likens it to NFL free agency. When uh, we have a, a hole to fill, you know, in a, in a recruiting class or in certain areas and at positions, uh, we look at it as guys that can come in and, and help us immediately. Older, uh, more mature, usually physically more mature, mentally more mature, that can come in and, and really be ready to play for us. Only problem? That's not Jermaine. He was still a work in progress. When someone took coaches to watch Jermaine play in a junior college game in New York, he saw a 320-pound man move extremely well, though he might not understand the nuances of the game. Coming from JUCO, they told me who to hit and how to hit them, so I would hit whoever they told me to hit. Coming to AM, I didn't know nothing about no defenses or blitz schemes or just schemes in general and different types of defenses and the plays and how to tell when the team is going to corner cat or when the two linemen are going to blitz. You would hope that, just like probably coaches at the next level, see him and say, hey, he has still got his best football ahead of him. Jermaine redshirted his first year on campus in 2014. He has Miles Garrett, the likely number one pick in the upcoming draft, to thank for that. I can really blame Miles has to take responsibility for that because he did me dirty in the first practice. He just dogged me, he just you know, picked me up and threw me. In 2015, Jermaine didn't play much either. He was the backup guard. Then Texas A&M hired a new offensive line coach, Jim Turner. You might not be surprised to hear Coach Turner has a reputation as a grizzled veteran. After four years in the Marine Corps, he's been coaching college football since 1994, except for a two-year stint with the Miami Dolphins. You know, right away, just getting to know him and my relationship with him, uh, immediately it was strained because he really thought of himself as a backup. And so he thought that he was just going to cruise through and everything was just going to be that. It was going to be status quo and he would end up finishing his career just like he started it. Texas A&M has a strong tradition of sending offensive linemen to the NFL. Luke Jockel, Jermaine Effetti, Cedric Aboye, Jake Matthews. Not only did Jermaine have to live up to those standards, he was going against two of the top defensive linemen in the country at practice every day. Miles Garrett and Deshaun Hall. You know, we moved him from guard to tackle, um, which we really didn't know. You know, let's just put him out there and see what happened. I think uh, Coach Turner will talk about it. And he moved to tackle, and he just felt natural out there, which is the hardest position to play. In our practices, you know, the ability to, to sit out there and, and block uh, Miles and, and, and Dede, you know, we, we figured if he can block him, he can <laughs> block those guys. He, he's got a chance to block most people. I think what happened to him was, you know, guys tried to make it really simple for him because, you know, you really had to just slow down with him and be patient with him a little bit. Now, he would tell you that I wasn't patient because I tortured that kid. And every day, I mean, every day we went at it. And, you know, I was going to force him to either do it or not do it. To motivate a kid like him, you have to tick him off, you know. So I used to say to him, I used to say, your head is like a bowling ball filled with marshmallow. 
right? And everybody laughed, right? Except for him. It pissed him off, right? And it used to, you know, I used to challenge him mentally and say, you can't do this. There's no way you can do this. I said, because you're not mentally tough enough to do this. And I would challenge him that way. And uh, in his defense, you know, if you look at, if you look at the whole season, I think he, is, uh, he was a top-tier SEC player by the finish of that season. With practices being so hard, it's not surprising Jermaine began to make blocking and games look easy. When you ask his coaches why Jermaine saw success in a relatively short period, he'll mention two things. First, it's his natural ability. In the spring, it probably took me three or four practices to realize that his talent was through the roof. His physical talent was just incredible. He was more physically talented than any lineman we had on the field. And so when you see that, it's kind of like these NFL scouts, you know, they base a lot off of your physical talent. And when you're standing right next to that type of talent and that type of size, you know, 6'5", 335 pounds, 330 pounds, and they can run and they look effortless doing it, you know, that's when you know you have a freak athlete on your hand. But inevitably, the conversation turns to something else that can't be taught. Passion. When you see guys go out there, they just love playing the game of football, you know? Like if you watch Tom Brady play, right? As experienced as he is, and he's an older player in the NFL, he loves it. You can see it's written all over him. And this guy has the same mentality. I mean, he just flat out loves playing ball. And I think, you know, like NFL scouts, that's what they're looking for. They want to make sure that before the money and all the other stuff that comes with it, you have to understand that everything that you're being drafted for you know, is stuff that you're bringing to the table. I think he's proud of, of, of where he's from. I think he's proud of what he represents. Uh, he's looking for the next chapter of his life, and, and, and I think he's being himself again. And, and you know, anytime you move and, and, and do that, I think that has really helped his experiences just to become a more open guy. And I think that's really helped his maturity as a, as a person. And the next step is to continue to grow as, as a guy who understands what American football is all about. I, I'm, it's undescribable, you know. I mean, I'm still having a sleepless night, uh, just kind of watching my son trying to achieve his dream from 11 years old. And um, I'm so happy that he's been recognized now that he's got the talent. I knew he had it. I knew he had it. You know, that's, I mean, that's why it hasn't been easy for me since I came here trying to support him. He should get the whole places. It's just like American dream. It's a lie. I want people to see that, you know, it doesn't matter what country you're from. If you really want to play football, you can play football. And I kind of want, like, I want people to say I'm from London because then I want to see people in London giving more opportunities, you know, because I have people hitting me up saying they need, they want an opportunity like me. They know they can play. And, you know, I watch film with them too because they send me their highlight tapes and they look good. You know, so hopefully me coming from London will bring more recognition to players over in England and try and get them more opportunities later on, you know, down the line. Because I know that the NFL goes over there and to see what England has to offer, they won't be disappointed. This episode of Draft Season was reported by Emily Kaplan and produced by Harry Swartout. Alex Abnos created our theme song, and Harry Swartout created the artwork for the podcast. 
Special thanks to Ben Eagle, Ryan Hunt, and the rest of SI's college football and NFL editing teams. Subscribe to Draft Season wherever you get your podcasts, and stay tuned for more episodes. I'm Eric Single. This is Draft Season. So I was happy for him when he became an American citizen, so last summer he became an American citizen. And so my biggest thing, my biggest challenge was, I said, hey, because they called him London, I said, we got to change your nickname. I said, if you can be named after the ugliest city in Europe, I said, we're going to name you after the ugliest city in America, so we started calling him Buffalo. (laughs) 